When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. A huge weekend of racing, a classic weekend, not only here but also across the pond. And thank you very much for joining us in the Final Furlong Podcast as we look ahead to it. I'm Emma Kennedy, joined by our good friend and At The Races pundit, Mr. Peter T. Fornital. What's up, gentlemen? All the way from stateside and also... My good friend and at the races pundit, Mr. Kevin Blake. Hello. So obviously there is a huge story to talk about, and we will do that a little bit later on. I'm obviously talking about Game of Thrones. There's also the Ruby Walsh thing. <laughs> but we'll, we'll discuss that uh, a little bit later. Let's focus on the 2,000 guineas. Uh, Ten Sovereigns will be ridden by Ryan Moore and is your new favorite at 4-1. to one. Magna Grecia 9-2 with the Dunica the Don on board. Of course, he partnered Saxon Warrior to win uh, last year. Mad Moon for Kevin Prendergast, 15-2. to two. And uh, the big trial winner then, the, the Charmadal for William Haggis and James Doyle, 15-2 to two with Advertise uh, for Frankie Dettori and Martin Mead. Uh, an 8-1 to one shot in Royal Marine and Christoph Sumion 10s. Kev, are you surprised that Ryan Moore takes the ride on 10 Sovereigns? Um, not Hugely, I'd say it, it was it was pretty tight. Um, and look, as we've talked about on the old podcast before, there there is a kind of a, a misinformed notion out there that Ryan chooses that that's not what happens. Um, Ryan is told what to ride, so you know I don't I wouldn't read into it. I wouldn't like to uh, put the narrative out there. Oh, Ryan has chosen ten sovereigns, so he must be the one. Um, that's not the situation. Um, but look, it's it, it's it's very difficult to split them because in Magna Grecia you have a Group One winner that's proven at the trip, that's proven at the track, and um, and is very solid in many many ways. Whereas in Ten Sovereigns you have a Group One winner, but one that's never raced beyond the six furlongs and looked very pacey um, at all stages last season. So you know if he stays, you know he's going to be a hell of a good horse. Um, but he may not. <laughs> whereas, Magna, whereas Magna Grecia, we've no such concerns. Um, like it's been a kind of a low key build up for these two horses. You know, we haven't had a lot. We haven't heard a lot about them. We haven't seen anything of them in terms of um, real strong attention in the media, which we often do uh, coming down to the classic with, with the Ballydoyle, with the main Ballydoyle contenders. But um, I, I think they're two very, very nice horses. They could well both be proper Group One horses um, coming out of this. But it, it just with the ten sovereigns, it's just all about the trip. Um, it, and I, I just, I just don't know it. I don't know. I'd be you're know, gone to head. I don't know if he'll get a mile. And um, he looked all oh, speed to me last year. And you know, a lot can change over the winter months. And you can be sure that Aiden has been training him with a view to getting a mile all, all winter and spring. But yeah, I'm still with Magna Grecia. I'm still with Magna Grecia. 
Um, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to finding out with 10 sovereigns. His, from a pedigree, if we if we go to pedigree corner straight away, his dam was placed in a listed race over a mile and three. So that gives you some kind of an idea that he could possibly stretch out to get the mile. Um, Ryan Moore's booking isn't that big a surprise to me because I think of the two of these, 10 sovereigns is by far the more high profile. And... And is probably, Ooh. and is probably. Oh, he definitely is, Kev. And he's also the one who, I would think, Coolmore are pinning more of their hopes on this season. And so, if he's going to be the star, then Ryan Moore rides him. It doesn't. As you, you make a really good point that he doesn't choose. He's told, um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a good thing all of a sudden, and that the market has seen a freefall, um, six to one into fours. And that's only going to get shorter uh, with Magna Grecia taking a slight little bit of a walk. But from from your pedigree head, you're saying you don't think he can get the mile. And that kind of reminds me of George Washington and, and Aidan O'Brien saying, I'll only believe he stays the mile when I actually see him do it. Yeah, it's not so much a pedigree thing with me. It's just his form. And how he's shaped, you know, that's the main consideration. You know, we always say in the podcast, you know, the more race course evidence you get, the more, um, the more emphasis that should be given over um, pedigree evidence. And um, he's just looked very quick, very quick. And if he can carry that over a mile, we can all get very excited. But there, until he does it, now I, I'd be a little bit skeptical. Okay. And his entire juvenile campaign was essentially over the course of a month. And that was largely due to the fact that he'd had a little bit of a setback earlier in the season. So maybe the fact that he's got form over six furlongs is just by circumstance. Um, I don't think so. You know, they could have run him in the Jewhurst and races like that if they wanted to, but they chose to keep him to six furlongs. Um, both himself and Magna Grecia are very similar in that, in that they squeeze an awful lot into a very short space of time. Um, and, un, you know, a very unusual thing for, for it to be the case with you know two Aidan O'Brien's probably two highest profile two year olds to be given a campaign like that. But look we knew there was health issues in Bally's Oil last season and with ten sovereigns there was a little physical setback thrown into the mix as well. So they ended up having very compressed campaigns. But um yeah they're they're an interesting study, the two of them, especially ten sovereigns. And um yeah I, I would find it very hard to be bullish about his stamina one way or the other but if like I say gun to head I'd say probably doesn't get it but but I wouldn't be at all surprised if he did I had a question you talk about the importance of race course evidence I agree with that completely the thing I was thinking as an indicator that he might stay is simply the closing sectionals he's laid down in the last couple with uh, 33 basically 33 and a half seconds horses coming home like that to me that's an indication of talent and that the staying might happen despite the the way he's looked in the running with the head carriage and the and the possible questions about the pedigree. Do you put any stock in the closing sectional as a potential pointer that, that it might be within his grasp? Um, with stamina, not so much, just in terms of raw ability. Like he he he, he really broke the clock really um, the first two days in particular. You know, he was very, very strong in the clock. Um, and, and you know, generally, I, I like to go on how they shape and the, the racing character and the way they go through a race. And 
I think he'll have learned a lot from the middle park because while it was probably his least impressive performance, um, it, it was probably the first proper race he had. You know, he did the, the first two days were just on pure raw ability, whereas um, at a different track, you know, a higher grade of opposition, he just had to work a bit at Newmarket and he just rolled around a small bit. And uh, he, to me, he was probably idling a little bit late on, but um, Donica seemed very happy with the whole way. He was mostly hands and heels. Um, so I, I would love to have seen him again next season just to see how he progressed from that. You know, he does ha- hold himself um, slightly oddly, but it's not something that I think that's just his way. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I'm finding it hard to be bullish now on the stamina. Like you, like you say, I mean, you can look at his pedigree and take encouragement for sure. Um, there's, there's definite hints in there that, that he may stay. But yeah, I just... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you have a slight doubt. There is a very key quote from Aidan O'Brien as well, and that was after he'd won the Middle Park. He won't get much further than a mile if he gets a mile, but he's a very exciting horse. Um, and that, I think, tells you an awful lot as well. But it just it reminds me of that George Washington quote that, that Aidan O'Brien was saying, until he gets the mile, I won't believe it. You know, he has to do it for me to actually believe it. And... and I mean, the, the default thing here with him is that if he gets beaten in, in the guineas, they'll just rip up the playbook and prepare him for the Commonwealth Cup, where he'll have a yeah, smash you know, up the, with Calix. The backup, the backup plan is, is pretty clear if it doesn't work out here, but um, it'll just be interesting to see how he how he's changed over the winter, because an awful lot can change, you know, mentally and physically. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing him now, because geez, he, he was exciting last season, he really was. Big time. So if you're of the view that you're very much negative on 10 Sovereign staying or a huge, well, I, at I, least I'm, a big I'm, question I'm up, mark. I'm up in the air, but leaning towards no rather than yes. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is Kevin Flip-Flop Blake. <laughs> also, not Flip-Flop Blake. Also this known is, as... This is, this, is, this is fencing, Blake. <laughs> also known as Kevin New Evidence Blake, where yeah, on I'm, Monday's I'm show... Currently, I'm currently sat atop the fence and slightly leaning in one direction. That's what I'm doing with, uh, with Ten Sovereigns at the moment. <laughs> where on Monday's show, Kev can say, well, Magna Grecia ran an absolute stormer, but he bumped into a superstar in Ten Sovereigns, <laughs> and this source will be the leading miner of the year. Uh, Mag- it might well be the case, yeah. M- may very well be. Magna Grecia, though, Kev, you have us all on this horse at 12 to 1 and 14 to 1. It's your work that got us there. Um, so you were very, very excited about him in our anti-post previews. We're now in a spot where he's 4 to 1, joint favourite, 9 to 2. I presume you're quite pleased with that. And is Does that mean he is still your selection or are you looking elsewhere? He is. Look, I, he, he mightn't be... He might be, but he, he might not be as as brilliant as 10 sovereigns but he's very solid he's very solid he has experience at the track he'll stay he may stay 10 furlongs um despite being by invincible spirit i suspect the way he was shaping last season suggests that he will get 10 if asked and again he they, they, he fit a lot into a very short space of time last season and he should benefit from the experience of his of his last run and the and the vert temperaturity because it, it didn't really go right there and he had to be tough uh tough beyond his experience levels i think it's fair to say but he ultimately was on top close home and i suspect if we if we saw him again last season um he would have shown great benefit from that so 
he's been trained for this race trip and track no problem ground no problem and you know Dunica on board is no negative um, so look, I, I think he's he's a good solid contender um, and if you're on at a big price you're, you're in a good spot I think okay just finally Autad uh, is the only horse in the last five years to represent Kevin Prendergast in the UK Mad Moon is 15 to 2 I think you have to go back to 19 dickity do for his only UK winner um, <laughs> he doesn't send them over for crack now <laughs> he doesn't yeah. but but to be fair he doesn't send them over so like that that's a concern to me that look, this is the third favorite in the market now with uh, with a lot of firms and his UK record is not that great Kev if it's basically not there and that's a big concern in my mind I'd consider it a big positive just that this horse is running, to be honest, because, you know, Kevin Prendergast has had some really good coasts um, over many years, obviously. But in more recent years, you know, when he's had one, he's been more than happy to take a more patient approach and aim for the Curra. You know, so the fact that he had this guy out early and is running them at Newmarket, um, I think I think I'd take that as a positive. And... You know, the chat about this horse has been very big from an early stage. Uh, I know Manny were disappointed with his return. I was actually very happy with it. Um, I was there. I had a really good look at him. You know, Kevin's can be expected to be to look fit generally, and whether it's their first start or not. And for me, Mad Moon was carrying a bit. And, uh, and and he shaped that way as well. I thought he shaped like he needed to run. Things didn't really go perfectly for him through the race. Um, he was beaten by what could be a pretty smart horse in Never No More. Um, you know, he was giving him, he was giving him, uh, he was carrying a penalty mad moon. He was giving him three pounds that day. And overall, I came away from that quite happy. He did, he wasn't subjected to a hard race. I, you can be sure it would put him spot on for this. Sounder surface will very much suit him here. The soft ground, the leopard sound, that, that's not his bag. So, like, I wouldn't put anyone off mad moon. I think there could be significant improvement forthcoming from that you know the one little concern you'd have with him that you wouldn't have with the two we've already mentioned is look they've traveled they've raced at new market you know they're probably more hardened than mad moon you know who's only ever raced at leopardstown you know he they, they, he wouldn't have the the depth i know he's had the same number of runs as the other two but in terms of experience levels the other two are a fair way in front of them in terms of what they've done in their lives uh, compared to to Mad Moon, but I think he's very talented, and uh, I could definitely see him go well, and I could see him probably go on from whatever he does here to the Curra, and uh, and do very well there as well. I would not underestimate him there one bit. But that's what I would consider his his best chance at Kev. I could see him running a, you know, a decent race here, third, fourth, and then go to the Curra and be much more competitive. Well, look, he'll be ready to rumble here. He's had his prep. He's had his prep. He's been trained forward. He'll be ready to rumble. Um, so, yeah, look, he's been slipped away in price there in recent weeks. I know that there was kind of a wave of negativity after he was beaten. None of us like to see our, our classic hopes being beaten, but it's, it's not a barrier to, to success at the Newmarket or the Curra. So, yeah, I wouldn't like to I wouldn't like to play him down. I wouldn't like to under, underestimate him. Okay, and I am reminded of the fact that Winter was beaten in her prep run and that 50-1 winner came off well. Good man, Flakey boy. 
making us all a fortune. Uh, right, ten sovereigns, um, Magna Grecia, Mad Moon. It's a really interesting race in the fact that we've got so many superstars on the sidelines. Um, but hopefully a superstar will emerge. Peter T. Fornatel, who are you expecting to be in the winner's enclosure? Well, I'll tell you what, that info that Kevin just dropped, that's part of why I listen to the show as often as I can. The idea that Mad Moon was carrying condition and should come on for the run, because I really like the races from last year. So that's that's got me torn a little bit in that direction. But I'm going to stick with where I was at the beginning of the show, and that's 10 sovereigns. I'm going to make the bet that the staying is going to happen, and I'm hoping to maybe get Kevin to go uh, get off the fence and go opposed to me, <laughs> and we'll do a head-to-head bet oy, oy. With, with mine and his selection for a, for a pitcher of pims at uh, the Ascot meeting coming up in June. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know, Pete. If they re, if they managed to restock the pims after the damage we done to it there last year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, glorious, glorious my, my, pims! My, my, myself, yourself, and uh, Matt Taylor are sitting out in the lawn about five hours before the first race. <laughs> <laughs> One of my great racetrack days ever. How fun was that? Uh, sunshine and uh, magic stuff. Sunshine. I'm still sunburnt. I'm still. Sun- that, that might have been two years ago, Pete. Was it? I think it was two years. Yeah, ago. We, two years ago. There, you, there's my memory. I, yeah. I can confirm that Kevin Blake was not getting trolleyed before going on television <laughs> last year. Uh, or if he was, dear God, he hid it exceptionally well from me. I can say that. Um, no, it was two years ago, and uh, good times. Good times. Uh, I'm with Ten Sovereigns as well. Um, look, I know that Ryan Moore hasn't chosen him, that he's he's been put on him, but I just think he's a super exciting horse. And uh, hopefully, hopefully you are correct. How excited, like, like, look, Pete, you and I are both going to be seeking solace if this horse gets beaten. There's a pedigree joke, seeing as he's out of seeking solace. Uh, I got it. But no, I really do like him. And just to, to emphasize your point that little bit more in terms of confidence, how confident are you, Pete, based on the question you were asking Kev earlier on about the sectional times, that 10 Sovereigns actually will be a horse who can get the mile and can be an, yet another Guineas winner for Aiden O'Brien? It's an open question, but I feel like you're still getting compensated in terms of the price. I mean, if this is one who steams in down to three to one, even seven to two, it makes the question a little bit trickier potentially to answer. But in the four or five to one range, I just think it's it's an open question, but it's you're getting compensated for it. So I'm okay taking risk in those situations. It is gambling after all. Yep, absolutely, and we do like to gamble. Ten sovereigns, so for Pete and myself, uh, Magna Grecia for Kevin, and the TriCast completed by Mad Moon. And we'll see you all in <laughs> what Dubai. A, what about um, Al Hilali? I'm sorry, Kev, do you want to say that again there for us? <laughs> Every time I see this horse's name, I just hear Luke Harvey and Jason Weaver going, Hilali! <laughs> <laughs> this is Al Hilali! <laughs> For Charlie Appleby, uh, that has been supplemented in, mm. uh, which which I think was a, was a small bit of a surprise. And based on what he did last year, you'd say he has a, a you know a stone plus to find, but he's by Dubawi, you know, out out of ambivalent, who was you know very good kind of because she stayed a mile and a half in the end, you know. But Dubawi, you know, we talked about it before, you know, last year. Um, with Quarto and Two Darren Hot, they they were very much outliers for Dubawi in terms of how the level they reached. That as two year olds, you know, historically you'd really expect Dubawi's to progress from two to three, 
and the fact that they've supplemented him in um, with his level of form being where it is you can take it for granted that he must be working really really well uh, and potentially working really really well with, with some of Godolphin's other prospects that are knocking around and they'd have a fair old guide there so I think you'd, ha- you'd have to respect the fact that they, they've I know it's it's Godolphin and uh, their few quid isn't as significant as uh, Johnny down the road if he supplemented the horse in but um, I think it's you'd have to take it as a significant positive that they've put him in It's not by any chance a case that Royal Marine was beaten and I know he'll have a stronger pace to aim at here but that they were really disappointed about that and on the back of that they've looked they've reached for something else maybe maybe but the fact that he's the one and you just look at his overall profile there must be great potential for him to come forward and um, even if they were just desperate to threaten their hand I don't think they would have put him in unless he was going really well Hmm. well listen Kev they've got another very expensive purchase in this race and I'm amazed you haven't talked about him I mean, I'm I'm oh, absolutely here stunned. Here we go. Because, <laughs> look, do you, are you aware of, of this, Pete? I'm sure you are. You must be. You you must have even seen it. You know, front page of racing's paper. Oh, he's so good. I keep dreaming about his win at Goodwood. Oh, my God. He could be the greatest of all time. Oh, I can't stop dreaming about him. Did have an ownership in the horse. That's Mark Johnston about Dark Vision. A 66 to 1 chance for the 2,000 guineas. And well done, Mark. Brilliant job in selling the horse. Uh, good old Sheik Mo. In he comes. Pays a fortune. <laughs> 66 to 1. Poor old Sheik Mo. It, it, it was Sheik Mo. That, that Sheik Mo's a fraudster. Sheik, don't don't Sheik try Mo. and sell your horse to him, lads. Sheik Mo. That's why, <laughs> that's why he's got the red cap, Kev. He's, he's, a, he's a fraud. <laughs> so the guy... You, you know, you know... I wouldn't totally rule him out. <laughs> For all that? I wouldn't totally rule him out. Oh, please tell me you're joking. Honestly, I wouldn't totally rule him out. I thought he ran quite a nice race at Chelmsford. Um, things went wrong early on, and he, he's finished off his race well. Um, and look, he'll be ridden quietly. You'd like to think they'll go a proper gallop here. And look, there, there's a lot of ability in there. Uh, he just went wrong at Doncaster for whatever reason, but his his win in the vintage was good in a race where they did go pretty hard up front. Um, so it just just wouldn't I wouldn't like to be laying you know, um, whatever to be twenty five to one a place about him. Yeah, I'll tell you what. For all the piss taking I've done about this horse, and I was there at Goodwood that day when I was fit enough to be able to go and travel. Dear God. This is really getting me down. Um, what, what, what's wrong? Do you have some sort of physical problem? With I, I, you've never, you've never mentioned that. Kev, Kev, <laughs> brace yourself. I've got horrible, debilitating back pain. I, I know, oh, I know, really? I know. I, I don't want to talk about it too much, Kev. But, but you know, to take a seat, calm yourself, relax. It'll be okay. Never would have known. It'll be. I'll send, I'll send flowers. <laughs> I'm not. Get you on a yoga mat. We're gonna get you straightened out. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm not dead, Kev. Thanks for the flowers, though. Although I did say to Pete beforehand, I was talking about this um, new mug that I have that keeps coffee warm, and he goes, "Oh, you know, I, I just have to down my coffee straight away." To which I said. Well, I took my mother out for lunch yesterday and went up to the bar and ordered four shots of espresso and some milk, please. To which the bartender said, 
dear God, is that even legal? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just throw it out to me there. Um, I will put Dark Vision in forecasts with Ten Sovereigns and Magna Grecia, just in case. Just in case he finishes second, because if he does, <laughs> oh, oh man, this is, this is a classic flip-flop, Kennedy. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But but just imagine if he if if you're if me taking the piss and your words come to pass and he runs a huge race, imagine how stupid I'd feel. Uh, I, I want half. To wear that like a badge of honor, you yeah, know. Exactly. That's that. It's a much better story if you lose and get to be sort of the villain in it. And then you're like, oh, and I won. It just becomes kind of a lame humble brag. I think you just gotta take it on the plan. Hey, listen, I'd, I'd rather have the lame humble brag than go. Oh my God, I paid a thousand to one. Uh, the two twenty <laughs> is the palace. Stakes where Sergei Prokofiev is is back. Um, did, did we did we conclude in the end that it was Sergei? Sergei. Yeah, yeah. But we had to go. We had to return to the old pronunciation. So Sergei Prokofiev, uh, Kev, his his juvenile campaign kind of derailed after that massive run behind Calix. He was thrashed in the Phoenix Stakes. He was. We didn't know at the time how good Ten Sovereigns would be, but he did get back on track in New Market. And he's won on his seasonal debut after uh, being campaigned at, at Churchill Downs, where he was very well fancied. He is a five furlong sprinter. We talked about the idea that he was going to run on Monday. How intrigued are you by the fact that they skipped that race, which was open company, and decided to go at an even deeper race? Yeah, it's interesting. It was an interesting choice now because the the, the race on Monday at Nace didn't turn up all that hot now. And maybe they were just hoping for faster ground for it, maybe. Um, because there was a slight ease in it at Nace, whereas this will be proper uh, flat, good to firm ground, you'd imagine. Um, but look, he'll, he'll be a fascinating contender. Um, I know he didn't maybe go on as quickly as some would have hoped after the Coventry last season, but there was there was excuses every time he... He raced way too freely in a steadily run Phoenix Stakes. And then Shamie Heffernan did a really good job with him um, in the middle park. He basically um, just dropped him in. And the only goal was get him settled, get him relaxed. And they reaped the benefits uh, of what Shamie did there um, on his next start at Newmarket. Um, Donica dropped him in at last um, rode him with loads of confidence and he showed a big turn of foot around the outside. It was an impressive performance. Um, Churchill, I wouldn't like to knock him too much for that because that that's, you know, zipping around a bend probably is, isn't perfect for him really. I think he's a, he's a horse who'd like to bury up a straight track and um, and look to come with, with a nice steady run. Um, but his reappearance in Navin was good. I was worried about the, the trip for him. Um, you know, you're kind of talking five point seven or eight furlongs there, um, with a stiff, an undulating five point seven furlongs with a stiff finish, um, and he might. We talked about it the other week. Like he might have been flagging close home because he needed a run. He might have been flagging close home because he, his stamina was starting to ebb. Um, hard to be bullish either way, but he's back to the minimum trip here at a track he, he's shown he's fully effective over. And there'll be no secret as to what he'll do. He'll drop in last probably and look to look to run them down late on. And there's loads of really hardy, admirable sprinters here that uh, that should, uh, between them, make this uh, a proper test of the trip in terms of early speed. And that will play to his strengths. And we'll get to find out if he's a king stand horse. Because if he can't beat these older horses, um, 
he won't be winning a king stand. I think it's fair to say. So, big day for for Sergey. Big time, big time. Um, Pete, for you, a big American pedigree on show, and obviously you got to see him at a new market as well. Uh, a scat daddy. We know how important they are to Coolmore. This is a big roll of the dice because he does need to be that Royal Ascot horse for them. Yeah, I was going to take a little bit of a stand against, I think, at the prices, just based on the the body of evidence and some of the statistical things going on, too, in terms of three-year-olds sprinting against elders this early in the season. Mm -hmm. I was going to go in another direction, I think, but very curious to hear what you guys have to say, obviously, and also curious to see how this market continues to develop. And if you are going to go against him, who would you be siding with? I was interested in the idea of El Astronaute going wire to wire, potentially. Thought maybe needed the comeback run and just might be difficult to run down in this spot. But there are certainly a bunch of different ways you can go. Very curious, again, to hear what your guys' thoughts are. I I don't sort of come here with final, final opinions. I like to shape my thoughts as I get to hear all that extra stuff from you guys. Which translates to copy Kevin Blake's work and then pass it (laughs) off as... (laughs) I've been known to from time to time. Absolutely. I'll cop to that. Kev, who do you see as the biggest danger to him? Um, like there is a pace angle there. Like if they if they didn't go hard, the likes of El Astronaut would, would be really interesting. Um, but you have Major Jumbo in there as well who, who can go forward at, at a right good gallop. Um, and there's others there as well. So I, I'm hoping that they'll go a proper gallop. Um, in which case that that'll only make Ser- Sergey's job a little bit easier, because you know when you when you're going to be ridden like he's going to be ridden, i.e., drop right in, you're li- you're a little bit of a hostage to what goes on in front of you, and it's important for him that they go quick. Um, but look at the end, at the end of the day, you know all, all the jockeys in the race will be looking at the form the same as us. They might come to that exact same conclusion, and they might be conscious of, of only going as quick as they have to. So, you know, I wouldn't put anyone off exploring some of those front runners uh, with a view to potentially having the run of the race up the front end. But um, yeah, I'm just hopeful. I think, I think um, Sergey is potentially very, very good over five, um, but he needs to do it here. Mm. Um, if I was to mention one other, uh, another horse, you'll probably lambast me for even mentioning, but equilateral. Oh, come um, on, man. <laughs> I think coming back to five is what he wants. Um, they've, they've given him two goals at six again this season. Um, I think he's all speed. And I'd like to see them ride him a little bit quiet just to finish off the race because he's been, he's been a disappointing old devil now. I know his connections remain very hopeful that he could be very, very good. But he needs to put it together and he needs to put it together fast. And um, coming back to five with a little bit more of a patient ride would be my idea of something that might help him. Um, but look, we'll see. He needs to he needs to prove it now. He's running out of excuses. I think Mab's Cross is big in the market, in fairness, for a horse who won the race last year and won the Prix de la Abbe as well. And her form with Blue Point and Batash is really, really good. Six to one seems a bit silly of a price so yeah we'll, we'll see it's very much a case of the market is basing basing on Sergei's potential and and looking at, at what he might be whereas Mab's Cross we know what she is so if she's ready to roll and there's no reason to think she won't be then um, then she could be a, an, an interesting one but all eyes on, on Sergei in terms of the Final Furlong podcast team uh, live on Sky Sports Racing 
is one of the most famous races in the entire world, the Kentucky Derby. And you have to say Derby, presented by Woodford Reserve. Um, We are on the main track and on the dirt at Churchill Downs at 11.50, where the going is currently fast, 1.4 million pounds sterling, which I think is about $2 billion. Oh, no, sorry. It's about $100,000, isn't that it? Um, (laughs) I haven't looked yet today. uh, So, don't, don't, oh, sterling. Anyway, uh, Omaha Beach, unfortunately, is out. That's a huge story. Massive. It changes the race completely. This was going to be not my top, top pick, but a horse on every combination play that I would make in terms of the exotics and one I was going to be betting and saving on, more than saving on, wanting to win almost equal to my top pick on the win end. And he helped me see how this race was going to be run just because I knew turning for home, this horse would be moving to the front. And it just made me very confident of what else I was seeing on the racetrack. Now the pace picture for me is thrown into a little bit of, uh, of a cloud. And it's also just a very sad story. Richard Mandela, a guy who a lot of people were rooting for, wanted to see him get his Kentucky Derby horse. This really looked like the one, had the best form, had the best figure. So yeah, leaves a bit of a vacuum with him out of the race. So with him gone, like one of the horses I'm interested in is, is Tactus, who I'll, I'll be very interested to hear you talk about um, as you give us your assessment of the race. But if he was the favorite and he was the big name going in, then does that mean we're now looking at Game Winner, the son of Candy Ride, or uh, Improbable, who had formed with him as well? Or is there something else lurking there in in behind that, that you think is now going to come to the forefront? Well, Bob Baffert has three runners in here, and I can make you a case that each of the three, or I should say any of the three, could be the favorite. The new revised morning line did go with Game Winner, has the local form, which makes sense, has been to some a little disappointing, not winning yet in his three-year-old campaign, but he has excuses for those races. My first gut when I first heard the scratch was that Roadster coming off of that Santa Anita Derby win would now go off as the favorite. Also, obviously, in the Baffert trio has game winner on the book, very well fancied as a two-year-old. Was This was his derby horse when Baffert was asked last summer who his derby horse was going to be in a random interview by TMZ. Roadster was the one he mentioned. Maybe that TMZ hoodoo gets him to the top of the market. But really, it could be any of the three Bafferts. I think they're going to be the first three choices in the betting. Did you just say TMZ? TMZ. That's the first mention for TMZ on the Final Farland podcast there, I guess. I (laughs) don't. Maybe a couple of years ago, we might have mentioned TMZ in a random story, Kev, about like some guy losing it or Conor McGregor, something along those lines, but... Never in a racing context. There you go. They, that's that's how big Baffert is. He transport transcends the sport to such a degree where he's actually a racing person who gets interviewed by TMZ. And when he's interviewed by TMZ, does he have the Burger King man beside him? <laughs> <laughs> I think the Burger King man was off that night. He had a day off. He had a well-deserved day off that day. Uh, (laughs) Right. So, I mean, look, Bob has won two of the last four runnings of the Kentucky Derby. Obviously, Marion Conferro and and Justify last year. Um, He is who everyone's going to be looking at. And, of course, if he tells TMZ that... 
I got a superstar in Roadster, oh. then obviously everybody is going to uh, pile on. So is is he your idea then of of the winner? No, I'm opposed to Roadster from a betting perspective. He has claims, but I felt like game winner ran a lot farther last time, just in terms of the amount of ground he covered. I also felt like he did his running in a faster part of the race, whereas Roadster really got the run of the race and just did his running through the lane. I wouldn't say one was crazy to like Roadster, but I prefer, I'd rank him third of the three Bafferts, and my top pick is in a different direction entirely. Okay, your top pick is? Well, you mentioned before, who's stealing from who now? You mentioned Tacitus. That's the horse that I like. Yes, fantastic (laughs) news. Okay, so I was really drawn to this horse. I was watching back some of the videos earlier on and just thought, this is is a really, really exciting horse. Uh, Jose Ortiz on board by Tappet. You will make a much stronger claim than me, so go for it, Pete. Why is Tacitus going to win the Kentucky Derby on Sky Sports Racing? The figures are very fast and the horse is battle tested. He's got form, he's got class, he's got pedigree. And if you watch that Wood Memorial, which I recommend you do, mm-hmm. you can find, I'm sure that's posted on uh, the At The Races website. It is. For some reason you can't find it there. You can also look at my site for a lot more on all of the horses running in the Kentucky Derby, including video form and and trip notes on every single runner that's in the money podcast.com but if you watch that first turn i mean the horse just got eliminated basically except he didn't he somehow ends up in a good spot somehow runs faster to what we call the pace call sort of the hinge of the race where the the real running uh, typically would begin in a turf race, and very often the winning moves are made on the dirt as well. Ran faster to that point than he had previous in the previous couple of races and finished up like a horse who still had more despite enduring all that hassle at the break. Bill Mott, I mentioned before, Richard Mandela, a Hall of Fame horseman who doesn't have a derby on his resume. Same can be said of Bill Mott. Folks know him from uh, so many of his runners going back. I'm sure Cigar, even uh, in the yeah. 90s, made headlines over there. Mott is extremely patient. This horse took him here. I think he's going to come on for that last run, which was already very impressive. And I think if he fires his best shot, he'll finish ahead of all three of the Bafferts, again, all of whom are live. But I was really looking forward to Omaha Beach and Tacitus battling it out in the stretch. With Omaha Beach on the sideline, it just strengthens my convictions on Tacitus. I just don't know what's going to happen. This betting market now, it's so open. I could see him becoming kind of a now horse. I'm not sure what prices listeners are going to be able to get when the pod, when this pod drops. If you see any 10 to 1 around, I would definitely grab that now. Eight might still be okay, but it's hard to know. Maybe the three Bafferts are going to take all the money and he's going to be eight or 10 on the day. Just a quick aside about betting this race. Definitely keep the tote in mind as an option and make sure to shop around. We've seen so much liquidity in this race and so much. It's the one race of the year, really, where you see just a ton of uninformed money. And we've seen horses in this race in the last few years who had, I don't want to say no chance, but we've seen... 30 to one shots go off at single digit odds, pretty much on the regular. So even though the takeout is higher on the tote than the over round you're going to be looking at at the bookies, you still have an opportunity to get a better price 
on the tote in this race. There's just so much money being bet that you might see you might see that. So don't necessarily I'll tell you if there's a price you should jump at. And we talk a little bit about the Kentucky Oaks. I think there are a couple of those that are worth grabbing right now. But there is the possibility you're going to get better on the day through the tote if you have an option that way. And I assume most bookies will will offer some sort of option along those lines. I'm not sure about that. You guys would know better than me. Very annoyingly, an awful lot of the bookmakers, in terms of online bookmakers, have stopped Paramutual betting and i'm not entirely sure why that is and it just if you are new to u.s betting it's a two dollar stake to your to what the the um the winning amount comes up as as the pool on the screen but uh, you used to be able to take the pmu the paramutual price uh, or tilt price and uh, some firms will allow you do that and some firms have no interest in that anymore i don't know why it it's quite frustrating when you do want to get involved in that market um i'm delighted that you're keen on tacitus as well Eleven to two is around about the bookmaker's price now. Would, in in that sense, Pete, would you be a case of hold mad tough until Saturday and then try and look for sevens? Yeah, do not take eleven to two now. Yeah. He will be longer than that on the day. I mean, I could be wrong. Like I said, we've seen weird things happen, and who knows? Maybe that is a horse that should be six to one going off at four to one that could happen but my gut is you'll get longer on the day you and seven feels seven feels like a really realistic number but it's hard to know these betting markets they're they're very fluid on for a race like this and i i find myself surprised by something every year i'm hoping there's another horse i'm hoping i'm surprised that some 20 to one shot i don't like goes off at eight to one but it is it is conceivable i wouldn't it's not the worst bet i've ever heard i certainly wouldn't be looking to lay 11 to 2 if you had that option to try to back it back i wouldn't get that cute i like tacitus too much to be on the wrong side of him but i would imagine a better price than that's going to arrive by the day okay tacitus for pete and myself kev do you have a view on the kentucky derby I won't trouble you with my views on the Kentucky Derby. (laughs) (laughs) There's no Mendelssohn this year, so there's no need for a a Blake monologue. Uh, The Kentucky Oaks is on Friday night on Sky Sports Racing. Friday's going to be key because also, uh, and remind me of the time, Pete, we're going to see newspaper of record. So we've seen the the Royal Ascot prep races and Royal Ascot live on Sky Sports Racing. Newspaper of record is going to have her prep run for Royal Ascot in Churchill Downs on Friday night. And she looks, from the Breeders' Cup last season, looks an absolute weapon. And her main target is Royal Ascot. She'd look good in the other games, you know. Um, but she shows up in the Edgewood for, uh, for her connections. We got to be careful about the Ascot news with her. I, I, you know, I we read the reporting. We saw that story. There is some talk that she's going, but it is not. From what I understand, it is not confirmed. Oh, and New York has dangled a lot of money at three-year-old grass fillies. There's like a sort of a triple tiara that might. It's going to come down to connections. If it's if it's about money they're going to stay home. If it's about having a unique racing experience, which is what I hope that they choose to do, I, we obviously still may see her at Ascot, but I don't want to overhype that with the fear. I mean, I think it's very much of a jump ball at this point as to what's going to happen there. Uh, as for her next start, though, 617, um, your time, Emmett, and she just, to me, looks to have this field over a barrel. 
there is some concern if the rain comes. We've seen ra- we've seen a lot of unfortunately rainy uh, Derby and Oaks days the last couple mm. of years, and a lot of the times when the rain comes on that turf course, the inside really bogs down. She everybody knows this though, and she's got enough speed that she should just be able to get out of there and then lead them from the three path, and it shouldn't matter. But that is my that would be my only concern. I don't know if there's anyone in the world who can play this race in running, but if somehow she weren't to break well and get stuck down on the inside, uh, for me her in running price would balloon way out from the one to two I expect she'll be now. I would take the one to two honestly. I think. She just looks better than this field. There are some really nice fillies in here. Concrete Rose comes to mind as one who I really like going forward. The other Chad Brown runner, you know, I mean, he just does so well with everything, and she's looked well in her last two starts. But, I mean, newspaper record really should have them over a barrel. Hopefully they win here, and hopefully they do so in such a way where we hear that the next stop will be Royal Ascot. That's a very, very important point to be making that it she may not come because uh, obviously yeah, they, they came out and issued a fairly strong denial of the story not long after it broke yeah I re- if i recall rightly yeah they did but if the rumor stateside is still that new new york concierge oh, is is, uh, <laughs> is dangling that cash then, oh. then, then we've got to be slightly, slightly worried. Champagne, anyone? Beautiful pedigree by Street Sense out of a ghost sapper um, mare uh, is what nine to one for the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, but Bellafina heads the betting and is super short for Simon Callahan. Uh, who made the move over to the States a few years ago, a number of years ago, but a decade ago, was it? And is doing exceptionally well out there. And he's got the favorite for the first classic, which you'll see live on Sky Sports Racing Friday night, 12 minutes past 11. Um, Who is your idea of the Longines Kentucky Oaks on Friday night, Mr. Peter T. Ponertel? I'm going to take on Bellafina here. I think that uh, it's significant that pretty much the lone poor start came over this surface. Haven't been thrilled with the the recent track work. It's not bad, but I just don't know that she's ready to run the race. She's going to need to at a short price against this crew. And I think she could just be bet off the board in the end. You uh, once again mentioned one of the horses that I really like here in Champagne. Anyone, Ian Wilkes, the trainer, very, very good at bringing horses along for a target and typically has horses who continue to improve throughout the year and are also known for their ability to finish another quality that will serve her well. But I'm really torn between champagne anyone and what I just see as a a mistake in the pricing right now with Flor Delamar for our old friend Bob Baffert. Him him and the Burger King might be cheering (laughs) down the lane with Flor Delamar here. Godolphin owned. This is one before... Before her first race, she was 10 to 1 for this. After her first race, she was 6 to 1 for this. Now, granted, she had uh, – there was a, a big bump in the road, and perhaps significantly, it did occur on a sloppy track. However, I thought the race last time was pretty strong, all things considered, in the Santa Anita Oaks. And I thought it would set her up well for this. Yeah, I mean, Bellafina just – 
absolutely pasted her last time. But I just think here, coming into this, they might be going in different directions. And I mean, the morning line on Florida Lamar is 20 to one. I looked yesterday and saw some 12 to one around. I think that's just too good to pass up. Yes, it's possible she doesn't like the slop, but it's also possible that was just a bad day, two two back. It didn't have anything to do with the slop, and that she might come running through the lane at a very big price for those of us who are fortunate to get on it now. I mean, I think this horse is going to be six to one on the day, honestly. I think that the I think you're getting the value with that twelve to one with Florida LMR, but I wouldn't let Champagne anyone beat me either at those type of numbers. Those are both too good. I'd dutch those two against this field and hope to get the winner of this year's Kentucky Oaks. We honestly didn't talk about who it was we were going to be putting up for Churchill. Um, so it's just fascinating that the two of us are actually in agreement. Um, Florida Lamar is is really interesting. A five hundred thousand dollar yearling. She's by Tisnow, the horse who broke Giants Causeway's heart and everybody in Ireland's heart as well that night. Oh, and Tisnow prevails. But um, we needed a winner. America needed a winner around that. <laughs> Tisnow wins it for America. The great Tom Durkin That's call. But I, I do, I do love Giants Causeway too. But that oh. that, that that one was uh, that one was a good one for uh, for the city. And Tisnow wins it for America. Um, Tom Durkin, what an absolute brilliant commentator. But Florida Lamar, that five and a half five and a quarter length beating by Bellafina stands out and exactly as you said you watch it back it's it's interesting she's 14s you can get 14s here uh in That's in good. the UK and Ireland so very very interesting take on the favorite Bellafina and we're doing so with number five Florida Lamar and number 10 Champagne Anyone uh Peter T Fornatal with his views on the big races, the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby. See them all live on Sky Sports Racing Friday and Saturday. The 1,000 Guineas sees an interesting field, to say the least. The Kabbalah, the daughter of Scat Daddy and Skitter Scatter, another Scat Daddy, both head the betting 11-4 Kabbalah after winning the trial at Newmarket last time out, unbeaten at the track in her two starts. Skitter Scatter 6-1. to one having her first official start for John Ox, and then the Ballydoyle pair of Just Wonderful in Fairyland and Iridessa for Joseph O'Brien in and around the 8-1 to one mark. Uh, Pete, you're on the clock, so a little bit like the NFL draft, we'll, we'll get you in <laughs> straight away and uh, find out what your selection is for the 1,000 guineas. Well, and this is another one where I'll be listening back to see what you guys what you guys have to say about this race. But just looking over the prices, I was pretty intrigued by Fairyland at ten to one. Yes. Just based on <laughs> another more agreement. Yes. I don't know how this keeps happening. For, and I, I love nuns there. <laughs> well, that's the question. But I mean, there are there are we do have trainer quotes here that are bullish about the ability to to see out the trip, mm. and just the form is very strong, and the price is good. I wonder also if the price is being informed by the fact that you know O'Brien doesn't have the doesn't have the greatest uh, record in this race off a layoff, with the exception of of minding. And I was curious to know if that concerned you too, and just what your thoughts were in general. But I'll I can listen back. Unfortunately, you know, Derby Week here is pure chaos, but I always appreciate the chance to, to come on with you guys, and, and thanks for the opportunity, and I'll be listening to the rest of the show a little bit later. Excellent. Just very quickly, before you go, give us your Game of Thrones story with no spoilers. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man. So I got you guys think you get in trouble with with each other. Well, with my in the money podcast co-host Jonathan Kinchin the other day, I got in a hole that this is going to take me months to to dig out of. I thought he was always going to be in my debt for the one show where he just refused to show up at all. I know Kevin's late sometimes, <laughs> but how about just I not showing up at all? <laughs> But but he's now the, the, the worm has turned because here's what happened. He's a huge Thrones fan. And I was absolutely certain, like any sensible person would be, he was sitting in front of his TV. I knew he was in his home state of Texas. I figured he was sitting in front of his TV watching like everybody else. So this massive moment happens in S8E3. I won't say exactly what it is, but if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. This is one of the great moments in modern television history. And I couldn't contain myself. And I texted him, can you believe that such and such did so-and-so <laughs> to the other thing? And it turns out he's sitting at dinner and it pops up on his screen. <laughs> and thus... I ruined one of the great moments in TV history. JK, I'm st I, I just say it again. I'm sorry from the bottom of my <laughs> You stole one of the most iconic moments in the history of television from your broadcasting partner. Shame. I cop, Shame. I cop to it. I cop to it, and with that, I must jump, gentlemen. I'll oh, talk to you soon. Absolutely. <laughs> Cheers, Pete. Pete, brilliant as always. We'll chat to you again very, very soon. The brilliant Peter T. Fornatel. Uh, I would. Ne I actually, I sent Kev a WhatsApp after watching that episode of Game of Thrones, and it was the second time I'd watched the episode. I watched it at 3 a.m. and again at 6 a.m., and I said, I, I let off the WhatsApp with, I'd never do it to you. I wouldn't spoil it, but you're going to love this episode. I, I, I had a, I had a, my own little spoiler moment. Oh, no! Uh, <laughs> I was watching it the following morning, and uh, Dee was watching it with me, and we're watching it, and we're both mad into it, and Dee called the ending 10 seconds before it happened. <laughs> you are joking me. I promise you, yeah. <laughs> So did she just I, did she just turn to you and say say this is going to happen? Yeah, literally, yeah. Oh, yeah. that kind of makes it even better, though. Oh well, I don't know. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing is that when you watch it back, there is the foreshadowing and all the stuff there. But basically, we can call D the Red Woman now. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> Producer D is now the red woman. Um, well, she's well. Uh, she's pretty sharp and all, you know, figuring out all these things much better than me. So like, <laughs> it I, wouldn't be the first time she's done something like it. I'm pretty sharp and I'm good at calling line of duty. Uh, uh, no. But, Kev, <laughs> Kev, you're on thin ice, son. Thin ice. But uh, honestly, with all of the foreshadowing that was there, I still didn't. I didn't see it. Um, and, Sharp and that's, like a butter knife. And <laughs> <laughs> but that's still, that's what made it so brilliant. That's what made it such an iconic moment. Did you see the video of, and again, we're not spoiling it, but did, did you see the video of the American fans watching it in a bar all together? No. <laughs> there's, there's a bar, right? And it's packed like like you would see for the Super Bowl or for the Champions League final. And everyone is freaking out at this particular scene and then when that happens they all go oh my 
my god oh. and the whole place cheers and roars and then cheers and roars again it was just fantastic <laughs> I would hate to watch Game of Thrones in that environment though but it was cool to watch it back um, okay so it's Fairyland for Pete in the 1000 guineas by the way Sky Atlantic 9pm uh, three episodes of Game of Thrones left and they are all feature length episodes so it's going to be epic. Uh, 2 a.m. on Sunday night, Monday Come morning. Come on, guineas. <laughs> and uh, 9 p.m. Monday, Sky Atlantic. Game of Thrones continues. And now our watch begins. Uh, Fairyland for me, Kev. Uh, also for Pete. He wants your views, though, as well. Um, you think she's a doubtful stare? Um, I do. I do. Um, it, it's a quite a fast pedigree. She's by Kodiak. She's never raced beyond six furlongs. You know, very professional forward and fast last year. Could well stay now, but oh. yeah, I, I'd be less confident in her now than I would be with 10 Sovereigns. I'd give 10 Sovereigns a better chance of staying than her, to be honest. Okay. Um, but lovely. That's city. a, that's oh, a staff was in love with her last year. That's a brilliant. very, just to, to say, Kev, that's a very strong thing for you to say that you, you would be more confident that Ten Sovereigns would get the trip than, than her. Um, and, and the point you're making about you absolutely loved her last season, so did I. She, her form, she was just magic. And, and she kept on getting better. I know Royal Ascot was a disappointment, but that like we were raving about her beating Van Beethoven. And and maybe that was why we were so disappointed that she got beaten by, by main edition. But she well and truly turned that form around later in the season. Yes, yeah, she's just a really good filly, real professional, gorgeous filly to look at. Just a real athlete. Um, would love to see her stay a mile. She'd be a super filly if she does. But um, I still I think she'll be a sprinter and, and, a, and a pretty sharp one at that. But that would be my concern with her. Um, Kabbalah. Like kind of through the winter, like we have nice fillies like like Fairland and all that, but we didn't really have a standout all winter. And this once raced filly went into the, the Nell Gwen, and the market latched onto her, and she got the job done. And things went wrong really. She missed the kick. She had plenty of traffic in front of her when she came off the bridle, three out, but she picked up really well. Learned loads in amongst traffic. Um, you know, needs to step up again, but all, all the scope for her to do so is there. She should really benefit from the Nell Gwen. Um, I can see why she's as uh, she's the fav. But yeah, I, I'm not madly against her by her price. Uh, great for David Egan that he gets to keep the ride. Excuse me, after Andrea Zini um, failed in in his bid to get his ban reduced, so. Um, really good luck to, to David Egan. He, he's a super rider and a great yeah, prospect. Well said. Um, in terms of where we go for the winner, um, you know, I think Iridessa is really, really solid. Oi, oi. Um, I do, and I'm trying to be as objective as I can now, but uh, she was very good in the Phillies mile last year. Maybe didn't get full credit for it because it was a bit unexpected, but watch it back again and zero fluke about it. Um uh, you know, didn't get the clearest of the runs, um, but it was all she quickened up for all hands and heels, and was well on top of Hermosa late on. Hermosa brought a lot of solid form into the race. Um, her reappearance, I thought, was very forgivable. Um, ground was soft. Seven furlongs was always going to be too sharp. Um, she had a nightmare spin. Really, she had a rotten draw, rotten draw. Four wide, no cover the whole way. Raced a little bit fresh. 
and looked like she might go and get Lady Kea and she just blew up late on. Um, she's a big, big fitty. She weighs over 500 kilos and she just needed the run. Um, so I'd expect her to come on well from that. She's proven at the track. She's proven on the ground. Um, she's really coming to fever pitch now in terms of her form. And um, I, I just think she's very solid. Maybe it'll be one better than her, but um, geez, I'd be disappointed if she didn't run very well. Um, and, you know, if in the renewal that it is without real standouts, um, that hopefully that might be enough to, she might go and win. She might go and win. Um, so I'm probably going to go with her, you know, the more I look at it. Um, you know, Lady Kea beat her last time, but Lady Kea, um, again, I was there that day at Leopardstown. She's she's not an over big fitty Lady Kea, and she looked fit. She looked fit, and she got the run of it to an extent out in front. They left her alone in front, and um, she won the race with speed. And she's always looked quick. So I just don't know about a mile for her. I don't know about her um, going down into the dip on fast ground. I don't know how much she enjoyed it in the the Chevrolet Park last year. So I'd be I'd be unsure about Lady K. I wouldn't be on my short list. And uh, you look at the rest, and yeah, there's there's not loads you'd be really running scared of. Skitter scatter, brilliant two year old. She's about two foot tall. You know, you don't know how much she's going to train on. Um, you know, I don't want to knock her too much because she was so good last year. She mm. kept progressing last year, kept progressing beyond what I think anyone associated with her expected her to. So she might just be one of those that, that just keeps going and can find improvement at three despite a, a lack of physical scope. But It could also be the case, though, that she was a precocious horse and that the best of her was as a juvenile. Maybe so, but look, she, she kept a, a progressive arc for improvement the whole way through the season. You know, you look at the likes of a roly-poly, you would have said the same, you know, had, had an even tougher campaign, mm-hmm. you know, lacked in scope, but managed to roll on and, and win group ones as a three-year-old. So I wouldn't like to rule it out, but she just wouldn't be on my shortlist. She, she'd have to go and show me um, that, that she can do it before I believe she can personally. Uh, so yeah, look, in, in a wide open guineas, we have a Group 1 winner proven at the track, um, proven at the distance with a run under her belt um, with all the physical scope to improve from 2 to 3. Yeah, I think I think Iridesa is very solid. It makes perfect sense, in fairness, Kevin. I think you've summed that up eloquently. Uh, and the last thing I'd say about her is pe- people look at she oh, she's by ruler of the world, you know, she's probably more of an Oaks filly. Um, I wouldn't agree, and I'm I'm fairly certain I said it at the time. Like, but you just watch the Phillies mile. She doesn't look like a like an Oaks filly in the Phillies mile. You know, she's she's sat, travelled, and quickened into a gap, and uh, put the race to bed quite quickly. You know, she looks quick enough to me now. Certainly quick enough for this. She may say ten. Who knows? She may say twelve. But geez, I'd be kind of thinking about her now. At the minute has a miler that might stay further than a than a, a middle distance horse that might be effective at a mile. So you're not completely ruling the idea of, of an Oaks bid out, but you are saying that this idea that she would be better suited to Epsom is a lot of absolute horlocks and that you... That could, could be right. I just don't agree with it. Yeah, okay. 
Perfect. Well, look, you're the Joseph O'Brien Rice Planner, so if we can't listen to you, then I don't know who we should listen to. That's yeah, just just my opinion at the end of the day, isn't it? Um, exactly, Kevin Blake. And uh, and your opinion doesn't come cheap, and rightly so. But it's free for Final Furlong Podcast listeners. And uh, no, it's it's. Um, Look, obviously you're, you're happy with her at home as well and I think it's very interesting that you've decided to go with her and it makes sense can I ask you about the uh, little bit of that statistical nugget that Pete mentioned earlier on Aidan O'Brien uh, after a layoff as we use the American term we've talked about this endlessly uh, every his, his 1000 guineas winners um, Virginia Waters um, trying to homecoming queen was it? Um, all, all all of them bar mining have won, uh, had had a, a, a seasonal debut. Um, yeah, with the exception of the brilliant minding. How much of a concern is that for you with just wonderful in fairyland, or is it just something that is inevitably going to be a, a burst bubble eventually? Um, well, look, you know, mining can show, and it's not something that can't be overcome. But you look at the, you look at the data. And it kind of it, it's it's screaming that you'd rather one have a have a run than not. <clears throat> Excuse me. I won't repeat the whole the the whole lot of the information, but I, I covered it all in the in my old uh, article and at the races there last Monday. So you can find that on on ATR.com. But um, yeah, like it, it it's a really interesting set of data because it not only does it does it show quite conclusively that you're better out Aiden's fillies that have had a run have fared better um it's also a fact that they have done it completely flying in the face of what the market is suggesting because you know the group of horses that were making their seasonal reappearance in the race for him and um, went off on average a far far shorter price than those that had a run going into it yet those that had the run have seriously outperformed those that haven't so it's one of those rare things that um you know the the the, the market you know it, it's against expectations mm. you know those are the things you want things that work out and they're get they're against what the market is expecting you know in terms of a betting angle you know that's kind of the that's the unicorn you're after like um, and unfortunately, we don't have an opportunity to have a go at it this year because all of Aiden's remaining entries in the race um, would, all, would all be making their seasonal reappearances if they run. But it still would be a concern to me for, for Fairland um, and whichever, whichever other fillies line up. I suspect he'll, he'll run more than a couple. Just wonderful looks as though she's definitely going to be lining up. And um, there are other options for Aidan O'Brien as well. He was t- saying that he could run uh, as many as four in the race. That is the 1,000 guineas. Um, fairyland for me. It's uh, Iridessa for Kev. We'll do the reverse forecast as well. Uh, there's plenty of other interesting races, but they were the ones we wanted to focus on. Um, and there's a, very much a case of Bloodstock Corner in the Maiden at 10 past four. But we don't know who's going to run. Um, so we'll talk about it during the the week, but um, there's a there's a full a full brother to U.S. Navy flag and Roly Poly, and the Niarcos family have bought in. So Ohio, Ohio State by Warfront. We'll we'll see we'll see what the story is there. Uh, there's a half brother to Ribchester there as well. Yeah. Electrical storm for Saeed Bin Saroor. And a six hundred thousand guineas yearling for Charlie Appleby. Full verse by Kodiak out of a Star Spangled Banner mare. 
uh yeah some very very pricey horses alexander yeah proper proper two-year-old she was yeah yeah really interesting um speaking of really interesting kev really shocking i did not expect this ruby walsh announces his retirement from the saddle with immediate effect after winning on kemboy some great coverage of this available on at the uh did you expect it um, it wasn't a total shock, you know. He, they, they put out a press release less than a week ago saying he's definitely not retiring. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you know what? Which, which was kind really, of threw me off a little bit. Well, what I was drawn to was the fact that on RTE last last week, when he won on uh, the juvenile the Philly. National. The, 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 um. Well, there was the Irish Grand National as well. Actually, do you know what? It was the Irish Grand National. And Katie interviewed him. And um, she said, you're turning 40, but you're riding like a man possessed. To which he s- responded, and I have no plans to quit anytime soon. <laughs> a week later, boom, done. Good night. Good luck. Yeah, I, I'd say Ruby now. You know, and everyone's different. You know, McCoy was happy to kind of have that farewell tour. And that was fine for him. But you just think with Ruby, he just didn't want to be annoyed about it. And that's why he he told so many blatant lies, and <laughs> <laughs> saying that he wasn't going to do it because I just don't think he wanted this. What what wanted to be getting annoyed about it? Um, and I look, we we spoke about it quite a bit in the first half of the season um, on the podcast, uh, and and look, I, I'm delighted he did it the way he did. He did, you know, Jesus, it's it's to be honest for. And I just feel it as a fan, like and as a supporter of the sport. But I can only imagine the the relief from those closest to him that it's over now, and it was his decision, and he walks out in in relatively good physical shape, you know, because it was it was the same with McCoy. It was just a feeling of relief, you know, because you're dealing with um, unnaturally, unusually tough human beings like abnormally tough human beings that are stubborn and they've got mental strength for days and you just worry that they'll be too stubborn to walk away from it until they're made um, finish because of a physical injury Um, so the fact that he was able to do it the way he did it um, is fabulous you know National Hunt Racing won't be the same without him Um, you know I really uh, you know, he, he he's a character that divides opinion. You know, he's not for everyone. He's very straight, um, can be quite abrupt at times, but is incredibly insightful. And he's going to go into the media now, and he'll he'll very quickly be the the, the best um, ex jockey pundit out there. I suspect. No disrespect to anyone else that's doing it, but you know, when we've seen him go into that pundit role in recent years, he's just the the insight that he gives is is fantastic. Um, so he he'll, he'll have a long career ahead of him in, in that regard. But just as a jockey, um, special jockey, best I've ever seen personally. Um, you know, you have McCoy there who who wouldn't have been as good a rider for me as as Ruby, but but was great for for other reasons. But Ruby, in terms of his talent on a horse and his professionalism. Um, it, it's, it's hard to beat because, you know, you, you get brilliant talents like Carberry, but they don't necessarily have all the other tools um, to go with it, to, to, to make the very best of it. Whereas Ruby, like, geez, he was a professional. 
and he slogged, you know, and such a clever fella because not many people could have um, maintained that uh, what would you call it the the dual relationship he had with Mullins and Nichols you know politically like geez, that must have been an absolute nightmare not to mention like the logistics of just going over and back constantly you know that would wear on a fella you know and it just tells you the, the drive he had in him to be to be as successful as he could be that he would keep that up for as long as he did and um, and his timing was was very good, I suppose, when he fin- when he eventually finished up with Nichols. It also tells you uh, how good he is that Paul and Willie were willing to accept that. Yeah, yeah, you know, a very unusual situation. I can't imagine we'll we'll see it repeated ever. Jeez, um, it'd be hard. Like imagine that happening now; it just wouldn't happen. No, uh, it'd be very hard to see it. Uh, very hard to see a jockey. Uh, that, that that would make trainers bend that much, you yeah. know. It was incredible, really, to look back on it. Um, and yeah, look, just just mental strength, like that. All that crack he had at the, the final obstacle, like that would have tore um, a lesser man up mentally. I would have completely up wrecked him uh, in terms of the the, the 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 mental side of the game. Uh, you know, so just you, you, he'll be he'll be missed. He'll be badly missed as a rider. And as a character, as as a participant, but we, I will be seeing plenty of him. Um, I, I've absolutely no doubt of that. And um, yeah, sure, sure. What more can you say? If if I had to pick out one Ruby ride that encapsulates him, I'd go with with your kill in the JLT because he was a bastard of a ride. He really, he really was. A number of different things about him. Uh, real free goer. Uh, quite an erratic jumper, you know. Couldn't get to, you know, you couldn't get to the front too early on him. He'd pull up. He was just that. He was a quirk bag, a proper quirk bag, and Ruby just made it look easy on him. You know, and bear in mind, like re- top a top class rider like Paul Townend was made look a monkey by by York Hill um, at Aintree one yeah. time. He was a he was a properly difficult ride. And Ruby made it look easy. And it, his ride on him in the, the Neptune, as it was then the year before, wasn't far behind it. Exceptional. Um, just absolutely brilliant. And you, you could pick out, you know, you could sit down around a table there for, for, for a night and a day, picking out Ruby rides to, to talk about. But um, those ones probably, I, I was just open-mouthed now after York Hill and the JLT. I just thought he, that was just artistry. It really was. It was absolutely fabulous. I would go with Hurricane Fly's first Cheltenham champion hurdle because he'd missed the Supreme or the Neptune, whichever it was going to be. He'd missed his novice campaign at Cheltenham. He then missed his first tilt at Cheltenham as well, again through injury. And he finally gets there and Willie thinks the world of him and Ruby did as well. And he just had to produce him, ride him with such confidence and produce him at the last... And, and he actually criticized himself. He said that if I remember distinctly him saying it was the, the, the writer almost got him beat because if it held on to him, if I'd, if I'd been a little bit more confident and held on to him and not gone until after the last, I'd have won a bit further. That's how Hurricane Fly was. That's the, his kind of his, his makeup as a, as a racehorse. But he was brilliant on him. He was absolutely sublime on him. And he was brilliant on everything. Every, like very, very rarely could you point it at Ruby Walsh and say, geez, he's after giving that a shocker. He, he just was, he was magic. And 
wherever whatever position he was in the race normally was the right one um and you make a good point about the the mental state and and taking what a toll it must have been falling at the last and benny did you must have really hurt it must have but physically like the pain that ruby walsh has to be in there, there is no way that ruby walsh is not in pain every single day of his life he can't not yeah, be. Yeah, coming back from those broken legs now is especially oh. brutal. You know, three and four and five months of rehab, you know, and then he comes back and he does, he does it in again at Cheltenham, you know, that just oh. must have been, oh, but that, it, that's tough. But he's that's broken, hard. he's broken effectively everything. Like every bone in his body, he has fractured, broken, um, he, the, the, that's not even talking about the nerve damage that he's had, the muscle damage. Like the the long term effects on Ruby Walsh's body are going to be a nightmare, and and that is what he will have to carry with him. But what he leaves is this incredible legacy as one of the greats, if not the greatest. And I agree with you, Kev. I think McCoy was a brilliant jockey, but in terms of style and in terms of class. Ruby had it all. He he had the power that McCoy had in a finish, but he also had the finesse and the class and the style. He was just sensational. And there was nothing quite like him sitting motionless on a horse, particularly at, at the Cheltenham Festival. And and look at Ruby. I mean, Simon Holt's famous commentaries, look at Ruby Walsh moving into contention. Um, it, it, was, it was fantastic. And he was a, a brilliant, brilliant jockey. I'm very pleased, as as well as you are, that he walks away from the sport intact and that he does so on his own terms. I kind of wonder if Bells Hill had won the Gold Cup if he'd have retired there and then at Cheltenham. I wonder if he'd been on album photo, would he have retired there? And the reason I say yeah, that I, to I, you... I think the na- he said the nationally would have retired as well, you know? Yeah, the, the, reason I, wanna... the reason I say that is because when you look back at the... The fo- there's a great photograph of Ruby watching album photo win the Gold Cup on the track on Bells Hill after pulling up, and I just wonder if if he would have gone, and I'm done. But it's Punchestown's gain because uh, it's great for Punchestown that it happened there. It's it's strange that he had all these Grade One horses to go and ride, and he goes, nope, done. Um, but but well done to him. Uh, fantastic career. I'm sure we'll talk more about it on Monday with Jane Mangan when we review Punchestown. But um, phenomenal jockey absolutely phenomenal jockey and uh will he will be greatly greatly missed that's big shoes to fill paul townend must be getting excited uh we are back with you a number of times next week we're going to review the guineas and the kentucky derby with vanessa ryle we have a punchestown preview with jane mangan and we'll be looking ahead to chester as well uh, that's all next week chester live on sky sports racing uh on the final furlong podcast on at the thank you so much for listening from kevin blake Good luck. And for me, Emma Kennedy, happy retirement, Ruby Walsh, and have a great weekend. Thanks very much for listening. Hopefully, there's some winners unearthed for you. We'll talk to you on Monday. God bless. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app, yet? With easy to use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile. Visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details.